Welcome to another episode of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. I hope everyone is having a wonderful Tuesday. I'm very sorry that we didn't have a show last night. Some stuff came up, so I had to cancel that show. Uh, we will try to get something rescheduled in the near future. Uh, but again, I apologize. I know you guys have gotten used to this five shows a week thing, uh, but it's still very hard on me sometimes. Anyways, let's start with some sponsors. Of course, we have Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And the man, the myth, the legend, my good friend and partner on Break the Cycle, TopLobster.com for all your uh, graphic design needs like this great Epstein didn't kill himself purple hoodie that you can make a statement with that I'm wearing today. Uh, Check it out. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount or join the Patreon, subscribe star, or uh, become a member on the YouTube channel to get into a private Discord server with all the great supporters of Break the Cycle uh, and get new designs up to two weeks before they go to the general public at a 30% discount. Really good stuff. And, of course, executive producer of the show, AnthemPlanning.com, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Check these people out today. See what they can do for your business home or personal life uh they are doing a job that the government has historically sucked at much cheaper and much more efficiently we had amy lapore on the show back a couple months ago the owner um she's an amazing libertarian from delaware so check them out give them your business if you think it's something uh that they if you think something they they can do for you uh guys i have a great guest tonight i'm very excited another another guest who didn't big time me when i thought they might uh he is a, a great actor. He's been on shows like Dexter and Lost and uh, Supernatural. Lost was my favorite. I watched it all the time with my mother. And he is also the founder of the American Capitalist Party, one of the co-founders of the American Capitalist Part- Party. He is Mark Pellegrino. How you doing tonight, sir? Good, man. How you doing? Oh, you know, I can't complain. I can't complain. I, I enjoy doing the shows. It, you know, I talk about how it was like, you know, hard on me. And that's what, you know, why I miss the show. But it's not hard on me. It's not that hard. I love it. I, I love doing the show every night. So um, right there, there, there are worse things to do in the world. So much worse, you know. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's it's really, you know, the, these great people who support the show really help my family out. And uh, these guys know I got a huge family. So it's good stuff. Um, but let's start with you, man. Uh, you're you're uh, you're not like other Hollywood actors. Right when it, no? when it well, I mean, when it comes to when it comes to politics and and uh, you know ideology and stuff like that, there's a there's a pretty set narrative in this country for a lot of um, you know actors and and I think probably there's there's probably more like you, but they're maybe afraid to come forward, you know, and, and I'm sure some don't, um, some do come forward, but you're you're uh, an objectivist, a self labeled objectivist. You subscribe to Ayn, Ayn Rand. Uh, you've started this this capitalist party. How did how did you? What was your journey? We usually start off with a journey on the show. What was your journey to this uh, objectivist objectivist ideology and uh, and political party? I would say when um, I would say when I started acting, I was probably a typical person that you would associate with being in Hollywood. I was an environmentalist. Uh, 
leftist. Uh, I was a registered Democrat, and that's the way I saw the world. And uh, I happened to meet up with this guy who was a fellow student in the acting class that I uh, was a part of, who I would rehearse with him at uh, at night, and then we would go to a place called Gorky's Cafe in Hollywood that was open 24 hours and drink coffee and argue about politics for hours and hours and hours and hours. I guess I've always been a bit of a political animal. And I couldn't really, I couldn't really beat the guy. He he had some great ideas that and, and saw the world in a way that I certainly didn't. Uh, and it was a bit of a turnoff at the time, but it was also very compelling. I thought, you know, I just don't have the 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 capacity to convince him, but my ideas are right. So I think if I can give him the books, some of the books that I've read, the most influential books I've read, uh, that will change his mind. So we agreed to do a book swap. I gave him five books that were very influential to me at the time, uh, and he gave me two, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. Um, I don't even really, I remember two or three of the books. I don't remember all five of the books that I gave him. Uh, but needless to say, his his books definitely impacted me um, seriously. Uh, I, think, I think I finished The Fountainhead on a bus line. I just got on a bus in the valley and took it all the way to the end, finished the book, got off the bus and laid down in the center of a, of a bustling highway and just cried my eyes out for like an hour. Um, not because I felt like, oh, the hero was, re you know, had, had gotten everything he wanted and isn't that wonderful. But I, I, I felt a, a, a sort of compatibility with both the main villain of the story and the hero of the story. And I wasn't sure how to bridge the gap between the two. And that started me on my journey of reading pretty much everything Rand ever wrote and trying to find the holes in the ideas and um, and then reading the philosophers that came out of objectivism and trying to find the holes in the ideas, which I wasn't able to do. Maybe somebody with a bigger brain than me could. And then finally, after years and years and years of of uh, thinking about this stuff, officially adopting the uh, the um, the philosophy probably about seven or eight years ago, officially. But I've been exposed to it in my mid twenties. Sure, nice, nice. And then and then you you it's it's got to be hard to have these, you know, outward this outward ideology that doesn't go with the approved narrative of of most uh, entertainers. Really, um, how has it been acting, you know, in in Hollywood with this, uh, you know, this ideology and, and this, this founding of the party, the capitalist party, which is everyone hates capitalism in America. Right. You know, so, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, the good thing about being an objectivist is, um, most people don't really know what it is. And if they, if they, if they come to it through your political philosophy, if you happen to be talking about that on the set, the political philosophy is also something they can't really identify. Um, because it doesn't, it doesn't, there's aspects of it that would seem sort of like what's on the establishment right. There's aspects of it that would seem like what you'd find on the establishment left, but it doesn't quite fit into any of those narratives. And that's the good news. They can't compartmentalize you. They can't pigeonhole you as a, as a conservative. You're just a right winger. You know, you're just this, you're just that. Um, and, and so that's great. Um, there is unfortunately a, a rather pervasive and superficial knowledge of, of Rand. And it's usually, it, it doesn't come from actually reading her material, but from the salon.com versions of Ayn Rand. So people do have uh, a rather jaundiced view of her personally. Um, but I find 
I find more tolerance in Hollywood um, if you skew ca- classical liberal, as I think people like us do, uh, for us than for, um, you know, the MAGA folks, you know, or the Trump Trumpsters, you know, the, the people out there that that uh, don't really have um, a consistent ideology or political philosophy. They're just sort of following the charisma of a guy. And so Hollywood for me has been mostly very tolerant. And this, the conversations I've had with people on the set, and I do have them openly, are are actually very stimulating. And I think they find it very stimulating. Um, I don't know that I've I've converted a few people to my side of things, but for the most part, they get it when they hear it ex- explained to them, um, you know, in a, in a way that's, uh, I think, more comprehensive than you can in a tweet or, you know, in, a, in just a passing engagement with somebody. When you're on the set with somebody for a while and they, they ask you engaging questions, you have an opportunity to really get to the heart of the matter in a way that's not um, scary or, you know, in a way that doesn't induce defensiveness in the other person. So I've found people to be relatively, relatively tolerant. Yeah, that's, well, that's great to hear, honestly. I mean, you know, from, from the outside looking in, sometimes it feels like maybe they wouldn't be so tolerant of, you know, dissenting opinions. Cause really, I mean, obviously I'm a libertarian. I, I, you know, I ascribe more to the Mises aspect of things. Um, but you know, we're not liberals. I mean, classical in, in the sense, but not, you know, neoliberals as you would look at them today. So, um, you know, sometimes well, they, see, uh, I'm sorry, but a long time ago on Dave, Dave Rubin's show, I suggested that we never use the term liberal in association with those folks. I think we should take back that term there. They use it to to gain the moral high ground instantaneously. You call somebody a liberal automatically that has moral cachet. Um, they don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. They don't believe in liberalism, and they and so they shouldn't be carrying around that moniker anymore. So I think we are the liberals. You and I are the liberals. I don't disagree with you. Uh, I had this I had this conversation with Jeff Dice the other night. I, actually, on Friday on my show, um, I'm I uh, Jeff Dice is the president of the Mises Institute. Um, I like him. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's very smart. Uh, really outward about his views. Doesn't really uh, apologize for what he believes in. Uh, I like that. Um, but he also said, you know, the word libertarian. He's like, you know, people are trying to steal this word libertarian from us. Who cares if we use it anymore? You know what I mean? So I kind of that's where I've been on on with the you know the vernacular of things is like ah, whatever you want to call yourself. I don't care. I'm gonna keep fighting for these same principles and and hopefully you know move the needle forward but um it is hard when you're part of a a political party that has that name (laughs) you know uh it's kind of important to to think about the name when you're you're on the national committee for a party that has that same name but uh let's talk about your you know your journey to uh being becoming a co-founder of the um american capitalist party and and i I, i'm sorry the first time i posted it on twitter i just said the capitalist party I know that you guys mm-hmm. wanted to stress the American Capitalist Party, but what is what is the party about? Why'd you found it? What do you hope to do with it? Well, we, we found it because we didn't find any real alternative alternatives out there in the political world. You know, the establishment left and right have more in common than I think that than they have. Uh, they have more essentially in common that, than, than they differ on. And the, the alternative of anarch, anarchism um, to me, seems the flip side of the status coin. It's just as anti-philosophical and anti-moral, and uh, just as wrong as, in, but in different ways. So we wanted to present, uh, we wanted an alternative out there that we felt really represented 
um, a party that could, in fact, protect individual rights. And so we put forward, we actually had Andrew Bernstein, who's a philosopher, who's written a number of great books, Capitalist Solutions, The Capitalist Manifesto. He's, a, he's an objectivist philosopher who teaches in upstate New York. And he wrote the platform uh, to reflect a, a, a truly consistently individualist perspective. Um, uh, and and so we wanted the, the platform to be out in the world as a sort of ideological anchor for anybody um, as a reference point. Getting it started now on the ground is a whole, uh, you know, different ball of wax because, uh, you know, the political establishment comes after you um, once you start moving in that direction. And and it would require a, 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 a person on the ground to either convert to our party after being elected or to, you know, put the groundwork in that's necessary to get themselves on the ballot, which is which is pretty, pretty difficult in and of itself. And, and that's just that's not even including the way the political parties will attack uh, attack any person like that once they get on their radar. So uh, for the moment, it's it's a it's a platform and an ideological, let's say, Ten Commandments, so to speak, that's uh, or Hammurabi code or something that's sitting there for people to touch and look at. See, it's a tangible thing, uh, an island, I think, in this a sea of chaos that people can go to and and refer to for, for political ideas. And what we hope to eventually get a candidate uh, who will who will believe in those ideas and, and, and go by that moniker. I actually tried to get Justin Amash in on it. Uh, he didn't he, he even go. I, I originally, I also tried to get Austin Peterson when he was running uh, in Missouri, took him out to dinner. I was like, come on, man, screw the libertarian. Don't don't go libertarian. Go, don't go republic. Definitely don't go republic. Come capitalist. Let's be a pure individualist. Uh, you know, not a libertine like the libertarians, but a real individualist. Let's 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 come over to my side. He didn't. You know, he went he went another route. But uh, somebody's going to pick up the banner at some point. Or if you know, I don't want to get into the political arena because it's so disgusting. Sure. Um, but if I if if I have to at some point uh, for some ungodly reason. Um, I guess I, I guess I'll be the one that has to do all the dirty work, but I'm hoping somebody else does. Hey, hey man, that guy from The Apprentice was able to do it. You know what I mean? Uh, I know. <laughs> yes. Don't remind. Don't remind me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about the the, the Libertarian Party uh, a little bit. So you're anti-Libertarian Party, and 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 by now I'm sure you're starting as a as a co-founder of a of a political party, and as you stated. You're starting to find out some of the 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 hard work it takes to to be make a political party in this country, uh, including ballot access, which is the biggest fight. It really is the biggest fight. We spend a million dollars a year on ballot access throughout our country trying to fight, you know, states that want to keep any party off the ballot that's not Republican and Democrat. But why why found a part another party instead of you know trying to you know, it's very easy. We found over the last couple of years to change the Libertarian Party, which we've been doing uh, as a Mises caucus. There's a caucus in the party. Uh, we've taken we've taken about 26 state boards now. And we still got a whole another year till the national convention. Um, what was it about the Libertarian Party that that just wasn't doing it for you? <laughs> well, I mean, any any um, political ideology that can embrace socialists, anarchists, communists, you know, a, a whole slew of well, somewhat conflicting ideology, capitalism and, and uh, communism at the same time is not an ideology at all. To me, it's a non-ideology. Um, certainly a, a real respect for individual rights is going to exclude all of those people 
from the political from the political game. Um, my main my main issue is that consistent libertarians are not just the the, the small state guys who are the ones they call minarchists, but they're anarchists. They're people who who don't think the state uh, is a positive uh, in in anyone's life. They think it's inherently evil. The state qua the state is evil. I look at them sort of the way I look at. Um, leftists who think guns are evil qua evil They're, you know and so they attack guns and try to eliminate guns from the social sphere because they think guns are bad well no uh, governments are force just like a gun is force and uh, the government is good or bad and they've been mostly bad uh, because they are animated by moral principles and what i mean by moral principles are are um views about the way in which individuals pursue values and, and how they pursue them to, to optimize their life. And uh, individualism has had a very short period of time in the social sphere uh, as a, a moral code, a very brief moment, uh, and, and mostly implicit before it was annihilated by the sort of longstanding monopoly of collectivism. So governments are bad because they're primarily they adhere to some form of collectivism. And governments would be good, provided they adhered exclusively to individualism. So the animating uh, moral ethos behind that kind of state would be the protection of individual rights, which would preclude any kind of initiated force at all against anybody. So, um, so I don't see the state as evil. I see it as a necessary a, a necessary tool to implement or to to promote a certain kind of of uh, human behavior, which is primarily rational and productive because that's what we need to survive. And we need this, and we need to delegate force to an uh, objective institution that can that can um, that will take uh, force through a due process, through a process of, of rational analysis, so that at all levels of the retaliatory uh, of the retaliatory force, it, we are subordinating force to reason at every level of society. And to me, that's that's why that's why we have a state, theoretically, a a, a legitimate state, and why the anarchists are wrong for uh, rejecting it outright. Um, for what what could only be sub, uh, subjective uh, uh, subjective values across the whole of society, which to me just means constant conflict. True. So, oh, okay, ahead. yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, you know, obviously, I ascribe, I subscribe to the Mises ideas. I think that you know, Austrian economics first is a very important thing for me. Um, and a lot of that falls on a on an anarchist, like an anarcho-capitalist, is what we like to call it. Not the not the anarchists that are out there raving, waving the red and black flag, saying that we need Medicare for all. Those aren't anarchists to me. Um, to me, anarchists are are you know uh, real libertarians who believe in unfettered capitalism and want to kind of abolish the state or roll back the state at the very least. Um, but the, but to me, anarchy and capitalism are contradictions in terms. You can't have the one without the other. You do need a state. You do need definitive rules. You do need, do need uh, property rights. And it and look, I think the federalist system it sort of approaches that ideal that you guys have that concept of state. I don't want to say statelessness. I think the state is perfectly fine, provided it's it's decentralized in the local and the state and the federal, and they all sort of. Um, 
balance e- e- each other out. And most 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 issues with respect to legislation would be carried out at the at the local level. So in a certain respect, that's like the world that I think you you envision. But you need uh, you need consistent rules with respect to behavior and property throughout these geographical regions. You can't have, you know, five people in the same spot deciding to be governed in different ways or, or running according to different rules. Um, that's a recipe for unending conflict. I, I, and you see it in the Libertarian Party. I mean, can they agree on anything? No. And yet they think they, right, they can't. <laughs> and yet they think that they're, that they're gonna somehow live in a harmonious society because, you know, I believe in this concept of a spontaneous economy too and a spontaneous order as well that needs very little direction but it does need conflict resolution from the outside you know you can't you can't purchase rights you can't purchase justice and you can't and and force is not a marketable value to me force is force is something outside of the market and so it has to be i think it has to be treated as a phenomenon that's outside of the market Sure. Are you familiar with uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe at all? Have you ever read yes. about co- like yeah. co- covenant communities and stuff? So if we're talking about like at least decentralizing or getting, um, you know, getting government down to smaller levels, I mean, is that is that something that you would be against? Do you think we need like a overreaching federal government? No, but we have that. We have that um, now. If we just if we just lived in the federalist system purely the way it should be set up, it is there are hierarchies of. Of government and the local is is equally equally powerful as the state, and the state is equally powerful to the federal government. But they should all uh, they should all be sort of watching each other and competing with each other and balancing each other. I mean, for for example, I think I think you know when the southern states enacted Jim Crow, uh, it was appropriate for the federal government to come down on them. You don't have a right to. You certainly private individuals have a right not to allow certain people on their property or not to hire uh, certain individuals, uh, even if their the reasons for doing that are stupid. But to, but to codify those prejudices into laws to favor certain groups, uh, the federal government, in my opinion, had every right to come in and spank the state for that. Uh, maybe not necessarily in the fashion that it was done historically, but certainly cor- the correcting each 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 level of the governing structure correcting every other level um, of correcting the inconsistencies that are in each level, I, I think is a good thing. I think that's the only way governments can really compete is in this uh, sort of checks and balances and federalist system. Otherwise, competition is war. Right. I mean, right? Competition between governments is war unless they're contractually bound, you know, through a constitution, which I think do I want to lose the Bill of Rights? No, I think the Bill of Rights should be applied to every single state, um, you know, um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know. But but the government already should be uh, only limited to the powers that are listed in the in the Constitution and shouldn't have it shouldn't have any more than that. Sure. Uh, well, hold up. First of all, I want to say a huge shout out to Lucky Charms for the $100 super chat, dude. That's really cool of you. Thank you. Uh, and Lo-Fi Republican $20 super chat. He said, love the Hoppa shout out. Yes, sir. Uh, what? So what other, I mean, is there anybody, obviously you're, you're really into this individualism thing, and I think that that's great. I think there's been great uh, individual individualist philosophers like Benjamin Tucker and, and stuff like that. Um, are there other philosophers that you've really gotten into, especially like the individualist side of things? Besides Rand? 
Correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know if you would consider uh, Isabella Patterson uh, a philosopher or Rose Wilder Lane, you know, the the typical, I think, uh, great ladies of uh, libertarianism or associated with libertarianism are are folks that I've enjoyed reading very much. and other than Rand and Aristotle, I can't think of any prominent philosophers who are individuals who are who are non-contradictory individualists. So they don't, on some level, talk out of both sides of their mouth. But if you can show me one that is as clean and clear a philosopher as Rand, I'd definitely be willing to read them. Definitely much older, but uh, Benjamin Tucker is a good a good one. Have you read Tucker at all? No. That's a good. That's a good one. It's definitely a good one. Check it out. Or uh, I don't know. Have you have you read have you read any Lysander Spooner? Yes, I am. <laughs> we talk about Lysander on the show all the time because it's always, you know, that's probably one of the biggest battles between, really the biggest battle between libertarians outside of these stupid wedge issues like like abortion and immigration that we have no effect on whatsoever. I mean, literally no effect on. Uh, we talk about the Constitution a lot because there's, you know, half of the Libertarian Party is like pro-Constitution. They're constitutionalists, small government constitutionalists. The other half of the, the party is no government no constitution thinks the constitution has um you know in in the words of of lysander spooner uh either authorized the style government we have or been powerless to stop it uh either way it's unfit to exist as far as some libertarians or libertarians or or you know whatever you want to call them in the libertarian party um so i mean once once again that's animated by philosophy and lysander might not have realized that um looking at it purely legalistically as he did and as a historian and a and a lawyer right? he was a lawyer right he was a lawyer um, he also tried uh, to start I, his own postal service <laughs> yes yes i think i know that he um but he wasn't looking at it from the depth of a philosopher and and probably doesn't see philosophy everywhere like an objectivist can um and and so yeah, uh, certainly the Constitution is is a flawed document, but um, that just means we have to weed out the contradictions. That's all. Uh, keep it, keep it, and keep it in spirit, and uh, and in large part, much of what's there. But just weed out those contradictions. Weed out, weed out the general language that can be used against us. Right. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of there's there's a strange thing going on with the libertarian movement right now. There's this whole thing that's sprung up called post-libertarianism, uh, which is kind of abandoning the nap, which is really the anarchist philosophy is the non-aggression principle. You know, do no harm, uh, don't hurt people, and take their stuff. If you want to get really uh, stereotypical <laughs> with it, but um, there's this kind of post-libertarianism thing that's kind of springing up, and even some in the party where uh, they do believe in some state. Uh, as long as, you know, they can uh, use the state to um, roll back the abuses on some, on on individual rights, which, you know, kind of makes sense if you think about it. Uh, but, you know, the government's just so, it's so huge and out of control. I mean, how do you think we go about, uh, like, rolling it back and getting it back down to a size that's, I don't know, amenable to some people? I don't, I don't know that that can happen unless there's a cultural revolution. Uh, a, I think a a big enough proportion of the population has to embrace individuals. It doesn't have to be fifty one percent. Doesn't even have to be thirty percent. It could be it could be a fairly small but powerful and vocal minority of people that embrace individualism and then promote that in ways that are appealing and sexy. I mean, let's let's face it: the left promotes uh, you know old ideas, old ethics, and they but they do it in a sexy way, um, even though it. 
leads to inevitable disaster and general poverty, um, still people go for it because they've commanded the moral high ground. Every time they get up there, they act as if they are commanding the reins of morality. And uh, that's one of the reasons I wanted to take liberalism back from them, because that's an automatic, we are automatically bestowing uh, a moral, a moral stature to them that they don't deserve. And I think we should take that from the, every opportunity and take the moral high ground. So we can't do that in, uh, until, you know, the culture embraces on, on a deeper level individualism as the, as the proper ethics for a society right now. It's, it's all altruism. It's all collectivism, right. Right. sacrifice. Um, uh, sorry, I got some more super chats. Actually, my little sister, who's a big fan of yours, uh, Kaylee Fair, she gave us a $20 super chat. She said, love you, smelly, you. smelly big brother. Thank you very much, sissy. I love you. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's a big fan of Supernatural, and my mom and I are huge fans of Lost. I mean, I, I, I watch Lost every week as it aired uh, with my mother, and when we didn't live together, we actually called each other and would talk to each other on the phone while it was on, so it was our show. <laughs> um, Daniel 3, Biblical Anarchy, $5 super chat. He said, hell Satan. So I guess that one was for you. Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts that's tsidpod.com because the system is down and truth is taking over right on uh, uh jacob winograd said would mark consider joining the lp if it became a party that overtly and strictly endorsed capitalism sure I'm, i mean you know full disclosure i vote libertarian because i feel like as loony as the candidates are and they have been loony the last couple of times. They'll they'll hurt me less than the than the creeps that the Democrats and the Republicans are putting up. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, as, as for for as nice as little old Grandma Joe was, uh, she, you know, she probably wasn't the most based candidate we could have had. But you know, she would have probably rolled back a few taxes and, and stuff. <laughs> well, if 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 the Congress would have let her do it. Yeah, absolutely. as as it is, whatever good Trump did, he did through executive orders, and none of it's sticking. So yeah, of course, of course. Um, God, so uh, let's let's talk. Oh God, another hundred dollar super chat from Lucky Charms. I don't know who you are, Lucky, but thank you so much. You're killing the show right now. You're making it great. I appreciate you. Lucky Lucky Charms is awesome. Yeah, you're 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 really helping out. You're helping out the family right now. And Jacob Wintergrad dropped another five dollar one. Mark is super based. Hopefully, he knows what that means by now. Do you know what based means? Yeah, I think somebody told me, but I got a few contradictory <laughs> messages. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I think I got the idea. Yeah, it's basically it just means that you're, uh, you know, you're you're able to say what you want, no matter how it makes other people feel. That's basically what it is, and and that's an important thing, absolutely. Um, so when you were on when you were on uh, Michael Malice's show a couple was a couple months ago, three months ago, or something like that, you talked a little bit about um, the military and wars and and talking about how that was a little altruistic and stuff can you can you expand a little bit on that here what's your feelings on yeah i'm um despite all the rhetoric of america first um which which is usually just a jingoistic slogan that the right throws out there they don't they don't really mean it 
um, we we have been sacrificing blood and and capital in other countries for other people for decades now. Um, we haven't fought wars to defend or protect our, our, our ourselves and our property. Um, we've been doing it to bring democracy to the rest of the world, quote unquote. Um, or more appropriately, the version of democracy that other that these other countries tend to embrace, which is, you know, the freedom to elect another tyrant or some godforsaken theocracy uh, into command the helm of their state. So uh, I'm completely and utterly against that kind of uh, the use of the military in that way. We're not a, a policeman for the rest of the world. What, what we are, what the military should be, is the defenders of the United States of America, of, of our property and our human life. And that, but that means if, if we're attacked um, by someone and we, we don't pursue military adventures against anyone unless we're attacked, that we fight to end the war. We don't fight to some strange conclusion or to build nations. We don't we don't fight um, until the other side says, "I give dot dot dot." But you know, uh, we fight to end the 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 violence permanently. And that means uh, that's that's an uh, that's something that I don't think any politicians or people in the military want to confront since World War II. Um, it's a it's a so they it, rather than having a, a conflagration that lasts a short time and has a, a high amount of casualties, uh, they stretch these wars out for 15, 20 years now, uh, you know, over or, or decades of of persistent violence and the threat is never is never repudiated. The ideologies that we're fighting are never repudiated. Um, they, they're always there. They usually gain strength because when we finally leave, because it's a massive waste of treasure and blood, um, they proclaim vi uh, victories. And in some respects, the, the wars become recruiting tools for them. So I say, if you're going to fight, let's just say totalitarian is Islam, you fight it until it's done, until it's repudiated, until it's, its face is in the dust and it surrenders unconditionally to you. Look, you break into my house, you don't have the right to set conditions on what happens to you. You've broken into my house or you're going to harm my family. I set the conditions from now on. Um, you have to just stop. And, all, and my condition is I'm going to make you stop by whatever means necessary, permanently. Now, so that's what the military should do. Does that sound crazy or harsh? Uh, I mean, I, I, that's, you know, that's what I've always talked about. You know, I'm obviously, I, I came to libertarianism by way of being an anti-war activist. I was in the military. I served on the USS Constellation during Operation Iraqi Freedom. I was, you know, our ship essentially dropped millions of tons of ordnance on Baghdad. That's what we were there doing for six months. Um, and when I came home, I was really just jaded on the military industrial complex, but I've held true to the fact, even in my anarchist heart, hearts, right at the, at the end of the day. And, and I say, I, I explain it like this. Um, we're on the same journey. Some of us just want to get off earlier exits. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I also understand that I'm never going to see an abolished federal government in my lifetime, probably. So uh, the steps necessary to get as close as possible is fine with me. Um, it's an incrementalist uh, kind of mindset, but not a defeatist mindset. Um, but I, I came by, by way of, of the anti-war movement 
Um, not a lefty. I was a I was a neocon, maybe even almost very theological, like theological, uh, theological <coughs> neocon or or Christian th neocon. Um, and so when I got out, I've held true to the statement that you know if if we're gonna have a military, it should be to protect the United States uh, and our interests here at home, and not be in 127 other countries or whatever we're in, and uh, be fighting you know war wars of of uh, uh, of uh, that are become humanity crises like in Yemen or or Syria or Iraq or, or you know Afghanistan, all this stuff. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. You know, I, I, I'd, I'd rather see little militias, uh, you know, protecting their own little covenant communities, but you know, that's just me. Uh, and I know that that might be, um, a little far-fetched. Uh, but what, I mean, have you read Murray? Yes. <laughs> and, and your what are your thoughts on Murray Rothbard? Sometimes I think he's, he's great. Sometimes I think he's out of his mind. Uh, I mean, there's there's particular spots places in the libertarian manifesto that I think are 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 quite um, disconnected from reality. Um, I don't know if you were talking. I saw your lips moving, but no, I, I was you were talking. No, I was saying. Oh, this, okay. I was saying this is my favorite book. It's right there, right, right, right here the behind libertarian you. manifesto. Yeah. Is that back there? Yeah, the, <laughs> for a new liberty, cha it changed my mind. It changed my life. Absolutely. Yeah, mine's mine's up there somewhere, at a, some uh, up in there somewhere. I've uh, bookcases all over my house. Um, yeah. Um, I, 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 how can I, how can I say this? Because it's it's a rather difficult and abstract argument to have when we're talking about um, liberty. I feel like I feel like libertarians uh, see liberty as as uh, I, I, I don't want this to be taken. Oh, what the fuck? I'll, uh, it'll be taken the wrong way. Whatever. I see. I see libertarians as seeing liberty as an end, right? As an end unto itself. And I actually see liberty as a tool, a means to an end. Um, it's a human tool, right? It's it's an imposition that we put on. It's not natural. It doesn't come to us naturally. It's not something we're born with. It comes from an observation of reality. It comes from the observation of the way humans have to interact with reality. Um, in order to live. And uh, I, 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 I get the sense that, that, that that's missing from libertarianism, that, 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 that concept that, well, human beings, uh, observation shows me that human beings uh, live by reason. And they, they, they have that, that rational being interacts with this environment in a particular way that requires particular conditions in order for him to enact, interact with the environment in that way. And that condition is what we call liberty, which, you know, we, that's, that's what's just, that's the restraint of society on every, on each, on every person. Right. And we, we put that into law and we call that, that thing liberty. I get the sense that, um, Rothbard, like, like, like Marxists feel that aspects of reality chafe against uh, what they want to do and rebel against that. I feel like Rothbard has the same, is is sort of the same in certain respects. Like um, I remember, I remember him in 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 the Libertarian Manifesto talking about how uh, people who are adjudicated insane shouldn't really be, you know, uh, institutionalized. Um, against their will. Now, these are people who lack the faculty of reason. They literally need people who are rational in their lives as their wards to guard them and direct them. Otherwise, they're completely helpless in reality. He thinks these people actually have a say 
in their destiny when they can't by virtue of the fact that they don't have their faculty of reason they can't um so to me he's he's missing the rational element the 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 the, the fact that you you have liberty to protect rational action and um i i feel like that the 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 fact that that's missing that analysis that you you have liberty to protect rational action is is missing that's why libertarians are always defending vices so they're always talking hey i have a right to 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 do that drug to drink as much as i want to fuck that prostitute excuse me my pardon my french um and which is true you in fact do have those you do have the i mean morality means you you need the room to choose and that means choosing against your life and if you're choosing badly and not harming anybody else the laws of nature will eventually come come back to haunt you um but it's not it's not a selling point for freedom it's not it's not a selling point it's an it's an unfortunate side effect of having the liberty to be able to choose and to have having moral agency but when Rothbard claims that a person who doesn't have moral agency should in fact act as if they do have moral agency and that no one should take that control of that situation, uh, it's a little bothersome. And I've, I, there are a number of other things, I think, in that book that bothered me as well and and a, a couple other issues. So I don't have to bring them up now. Sure, but sure. Certainly, certainly, certainly it's divo- it's divorcing liberty from from rational action in a way to me. No, I, I, I understand that it's, uh, uh, Roth, Rothbardism is not for everyone. I get it. I get it. It's, it is, it is, it can be, you know, there's even sometimes I cringe a little bit reading Murray, but, uh, for the most part, I agree with him. Uh, Hannah for seeing good friend. She, uh, gave a $2 super chat said she loved you as the bad vampire and being human. Uh, let's see. The bad vampire. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I'm not familiar meaning, with Meaning I was just a bad vampire or was I the bad vampire? I guess you, know, you were the, that is something that I am not, I'm not familiar <laughs> with being human, by the way. That's, okay. um, <clears throat> lo-fi. And so, so actually somebody brought up a really good point here. And I think this is, this begs repeating, uh, lo-fi Republican said, um, that, it, it, uh, defining Liberty is, is important. Um, let's see, where was the, where was that exact? Yeah. Defining Liberty is an important, an important discussion. And it is, I think that I think it is, I think a lot of, um, I mean, even Republicans and conservatives and libertarians and objectivists, we kind of just throw around this term Liberty. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and we never really stop to think about what that means. You know, it's always, it, it, maybe it means something to me that's different than, than what it means to you. And it's because it just gets thrown out with no, defining characteristics whatsoever all the all the time so i mean that makes a lot of sense what would you say how, how would you define liberty in in a sentence uh i mean to me to me it would uh taking the monopoly of force away from uh, you know a, a centralized entity i mean that's essentially what what it comes down to for me is you know not really just giving one uh, obviously centralized entity force, uh, monopoly, uh, a force against me and other people and my neighbors and stuff like that. So, um, and that's, that's kind of, I think how I came to, you know, uh, Rothbardian anarchism or anarcho capitalism or whatever you want to call it, individualism. I, I don't care uh, really for the labels that much anymore, but, um, it's, it's that, that fact that, you know, at any time this government can essentially do what they want. And, uh, but, but let me let me let me throw something out because I don't yeah. think the economic term monopoly applies to force. Force is always a monopoly. Okay, if I break into your house, okay, one of us is going to try to monopolize the other. 
one of us is going to try to win that argument. All right. And the only, and only one person can between the two of us in any engagement of force. And I've been in a lot of engagements. I used to box, I used to teach martial arts and, and I've been in a lot of scraps. Uh, and, and when you, when you watch, when you watch fighting and you watch commentators, it's always about ring generalship and one person imposing their will on another. That is force. Force is monopoly. The question is not whether force should be a monopoly or not, because all you're saying is like, oh, we should have a bunch of different, you know, monopolistic elements forcing their will on others. Is that to me, that's the inevitable, that's the inevitable end since force is a monopoly and only one side can win in any conflict between the two. Um, I, I think it's it's more important to say what animates that monopoly. Now, a monopoly isn't like the, the monopoly of government to me just means uh, singular entities in a particular ge geographic area, as opposed to the monopoly of economics that uses the arm of government to force competitors out of the uh, out of the field and, and then d dictate the terms of relationships between them and, and the people. It's not market driven, but you can't you can't have you can't have a market in force <laughs> because of the nature of it. Because of the nature of force, right? I mean, and because of the nature of a market. The nature of a market is the absence of force and the absence of coercion, and and delegating it to a you know a a particular institution in a particular geographic area um, doesn't doesn't make it bad. It depends on what's animating that particular institution in that particular geographic area. What if what so, if we switched it up and said uh, that the monopoly on legal force? I mean, that's because that's kind of what what we mean, right? Like, so, so if we go back to your your um, you know, your example of a robber coming into your house, breaking in your house, you have the legal right to shoot that person. That person doesn't have the legal right to shoot you. But at the end of the day, the government is the one who gets to make that call because there are some places, including California, where sometimes if you protect your family, even you can end up in jail. So that's, I think that that's more what I'm talking about is this, le you know, legality of force monopoly where it's like they get to say what's legal. They get to do, they get to punish you for what they want to punish you for, even if it's something that you shouldn't be punished for. Um, I guess that's what I mean. Well, I mean, I think those laws should reflect common sense and an individualistic ethics, which they don't. Right now in California, they rob the individual of the right to self-defense. Somebody comes into my house, they're going to get shot. They're just going to get shot. Um, so they shouldn't be coming into my sure. house. Um, and I would probably uh, end up in jail, even though I was defending myself and my property. Um, now that is to me an immoral and unjust law. It's anti-individualistic. It has it has no place in the legal system and should be defied in in my point of view. Now I don't mean to me I don't mean to me a monopoly on force just means at all levels you attempt to delegate violence to reason. You you attempt to subordinate violence to reason at all levels. That's not necessarily the outcome in an anarchistic society where whim and what I feel is right uh, dictates, um, and I can feel it very passionately and I'm not gonna bend, dictates what's right. Sure. Whereas we have a given set of rules that everybody knows and is aware of, they should be much more simple than they are now. And and we agree to those um, uh, rules and we agree to um, cede our conflict to that body so that we don't 
fight physically with each other. Right? You know, it's certainly legitimate to be the judge, jury and executioner when you're alone and there's nobody to help you. Uh, then you have to, you're obligated, I think, morally to defend yourself. But afterwards, you're also morally obligated to subordinate the desire for revenge to what, uh, what one would hope is, you know, legitimate legal processes. Sure. sure. We need a, a huge overhaul of the, of the the justice system for sure. There's no doubt about that, uh, regardless of if, if we ever get my, you know, arbitration anarchist society that I want. You know, we, we definitely regardless the the justice system needs a full overhaul. Um <laughs> Plus, Fanny gave us a, a $20 super chat. Thank you, sir. He said, I'm not sure why free trade agreements like the TPP are unpopular. They're never going to be perfect, but I think they're in the right direction. Humbly, what am I missing? That's something that you can comment on, the TPP. I mean, uh, I, I don't think there should be really um, any kinds of deals between states about what can and can't come into the, the country I think that we should have a completely open uh, society economically um, and let the rest of the world follow instead so, of, you know, these qualified, we'll take this from you and you take this from us, you know, we'll, it would, you know, dealing with their, with their, with their uh, cannibalistic constituencies so that everybody gets, you know, a piece of their p the political pie. True. Uh, I we got one more super chat here, and then I want to ask you about just a couple single issue based things. And then, of course, we'll go we'll go do the uh, the exclusive chat where we'll talk way more about your your acting career because that's that's the, that's the fun stuff, really, right? Um, <laughs> but Allison Beard, five dollars super chat. She said, "Mark, what about the liberty with voting rights? Why is it not considered an individual right?" Still a bit confused about this one. I don't think I don't think vote. I, uh, this is going to be this is going to get you're going to get me in a lot of trouble. Josh. Oh no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think. Uh, I don't think voting is a right per se. Uh, otherwise, anybody could do it, uh, irrespective of their citizenship or alliance with the with the state. Anybody could do it. They could just come into California and vote for whomever they wanted, because after all, it's a right. Uh, certainly, it's a civic. It's a civic. Uh, it's a it's a civic engagement that you can choose to um, participate in or not. <clears throat> um, and I think in a a, particip a participatory democracy like like the one we have, <clears throat> I'm not a fan of democracy either. Um, it, sure. It's uh, it's um, it's certainly your prerogative. It certainly should be open to you if you have a stake in the community and you are here mm -hmm. legally. Um, it, it should be open for you to voice your 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 sense of the political landscape in the form of a vote, but it's not a right. In my opinion, I, there's to me, there's 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 political parties that shouldn't be out there. I don't think if you if you endorse a political party like, say, communism, Communist Party USA, should should a should an organization that defies uh, rights, violates rights, is, is premised on the violation of individual rights and property. Should they have a voice in the political world? I don't think so. I don't think people who want to violate Based. your liberty. <laughs> I, it's going to give me a lot of a lot of shite. Um, I don't think I don't think I think you have a right to be out there in the realm of ideas. I think nobody should ban you should ban your your books or or, or close the the debate stage off to you. I think you should fervently debate your ideas and we should have an open society in that respect. But I don't think rights violating uh, parties should should have a voice politically. 
And that includes that probably includes pretty much all the parties out there right now. Certainly not the Marxist parties. That's for sure. I agree with you there. Uh, let's okay. So I, I want to talk about being an actor in the times of COVID. Has it been extremely hard uh, on the industry for you guys? Uh, I know, you know, a lot of industries have been hit really hard. Obviously, in California, the restaurant business is just horrendous right now. But how has it been being an actor during this last year and a half? Well, I mean. It's been weird, but I bet it's been harder on the production companies, you know, because they have to spend something like 25 to 30 percent of their revenue on the covid uh, bureaucracy that's now descended on Hollywood and conforming to all the covid rules. And now I'm, I, I'm, I'm sort of appreciative of it because, uh, you know, it, they've, they've kept me safe. But it is weird especially after being vaccinated, you know, going onto a set with masks and having to maintain social distance. I was, I was the other, like last month, I was, I was walking my dogs, I was going home and uh, I just loaded up my truck from, from my trailer and I was, I was walking my dogs and we happened to pass through the catering area. Now there was nobody there. There was one guy cooking 60 or 70 feet away from me, absolutely nobody around. And I was walking to the other side of the grounds and a COVID monitor came up to me and said, uh, can you put your mask on, please? <laughs> I said, there's nobody around. Yeah, but you're walking by of a place where people eat. I said, there's a table 50 feet away from me <laughs> and I'm vaccinated. Um, it was absurd. I mean, I I, 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 I usually I'm, I'm a team player and I don't like giving people a hard time, but that was absurd. So, I mean, it is it is weird. You know, the quarantine in, in Canada I had to quarantine for two weeks. And if you went out of your apartment and they caught you, it's a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine. And then you're out. And good luck ever working uh -huh. in Canada again. Yeah. Seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine. And they were serious. They were they would come to your door and knock to make sure you are in quarantine. My God, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in Canada. That's insane. I couldn't. It's insane. It's insane. The whole thing is um, just crazy. I mean, you know, in your ideal governance, how would this have been handled? Would it have been handled differently? Well, uh, yeah, of course. I don't think the government should have a place in the uh, uh, in in the creation or the dispensing of any uh, vaccines. Uh, I think that should all have been private as it was to the extent that they, they allowed the private sector to work. They came up with a vaccine within like a month and a half. Uh, they had already mapped the genome. They were already there. Um, and that was, that was because the government red tape got out, was pushed out of the, out of the, um, the equation. Uh, unfortunately, when they started dispensing it, the states were all involved in that, and that's why they had all the snafu. So I think all of that should could have been handled privately. I think I think whether or not we wear masks is not something that the government should weigh in on. That's a private property issue, um, and I think people who own stores and feel safer uh, with their employees and with their customers that people mask up when they go inside that's what property rights are all about i think the only thing the state has a has a say in is if somebody is ill they know they're ill and they're going out there and they're you know they're being the typhoid mary of the community in that respect then the community has a right to say you need to you know you need to quarantine take your ass home 
Take your ass home. Right. <laughs> other than that, the state should have left us all alone. I mean, that's how it's always been for all the other sicknesses. Is if you were sick and somebody knew you were sick, they'd be like, take your ass home, man, you're sick. <laughs> but then the but then the state discovered that it could do more than that, didn't they? I mean, they did they they probed for weakness, they found it, and now they're not going to give it up too easily. Of course, and that's how it's always been. We've seen it with the 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 Patriot Act this is probably one of the biggest examples. They you know it was supposed to be a temporary thing, and there we are, you know, over twenty years later, still dealing with it. All, always temporary, always <laughs> temporary. We're going to get those. We're going to get those terrorists. We'll be collecting your data, too. But, you know, it's something that we need to do. Absolutely. Uh, so we're getting down to the end of this public stream thing here. But I did get one more super chat, and it kind of ties in <laughs> with the question that I wanted to ask you. Um, so Jacob Winograd, who was on the show last week, too, is a, a religious anarchist and really, really, really cool guy. Um he asked Mark, should there be a special group of people who have the special right to initiate force on people to claim a monopoly over civil governance. Now, wait, that ties in with what I was going to ask you. Okay, so we, we talked a little bit about how you, you, know, you don't really like democracy. I don't think any of us like democracy. As, as, as far as anybody watching this show, I can guarantee you most of them hate democracy. Um, okay. Would you be, so, so this question is actually kind of what I'm asking here. Uh, w what would you think about like a benevolent monarchy? Well, look, I mean, I don't care what form the government takes as long as it protects individual rights. Um, I do think that deconcentrating power in the way that the founders deconcentrated it, I don't think is good. I don't think the legislative, executive and uh, ju uh, judicial should be all embodied in one person. Um, that's not to say that it, it couldn't exist, but it's highly un unlikely. But I thought the question was sort of in bad faith. I just want to say that. Jacob? It's in bad faith because it, it's presuming it's presuming that the government initiates force. So it's automatically acting as if that is what government does. And I know he's saying it because, well, there's taxes for fuck's sake. So they so they initiate force by taxes. Look, in my world, taxes, taxation would be voluntary. And there's a bunch of schemes that we've that we've that Rand discussed and other objectivists have discussed to illustrate how a voluntary system of taxation uh, could could take place. So, of course, it wouldn't be called probably taxation, but it would definitely be a voluntary way of funding the government, which would be, which is possible. It's been done before, uh, for the most part. Um, I mean, income tax wasn't instituted in the United States until the 20th century. So uh, up until that time, you know, uh, communities raised armies through subscriptions and they, they raised money in various other ways. And there's no reason we can't do it now. The actual functions of a real government uh, protecting life and property are very small compared to what we see today. I think the real cost of a government—I I, I know there's got to be somebody like a Richard Salzman or somebody who's actually guesstimated what the cost of a a rights-respecting government would be—and it's you know it's like five hundred billion dollars. It's something very very small. It's by today's standards compared to what we have going on today barely barely there and it wouldn't i mean unfortunately we're shackled with 26 trillion dollars of debt and enormous unfunded liabilities and how to get out of this clusterfuck i don't know how we're going to do that but a real a real rights respecting government would would be nothing to fund nothing sure absolutely i agree so that uh, before we ended i was going to ask you what what were your thoughts on taxation so i think we got a pretty good uh <laughs> perspective from you there uh and one more question that i just personally want to know what about what about uh red flag laws where do you stand on those bad boys I'm against them, and the the and uh, I'm friends with John Lott Jr. So I 
I think he's one of the real, real genuine scholars out there that is based. Nice. <laughs> I think he's based. And, uh, and uh, he, he's got lots of data from, from his uh, organization that shows how awful they are and how they, they really actually hurt. Um, uh, they hurt lots of people that they shouldn't. So I don't believe that there should be red flag laws at all. Well, Mark, man, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Uh, I really appreciate you. Do you want to tell these people how they can find you, support you, support uh, whatever you got going on, what you got coming up next, all that good stuff? Yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Mark R. Pellegrino. Um, I, I like talking with anarchists as, as long as you're uh, as long as you're cool. Be cool. I'll be cool. I'm only I'm only mean and harsh with people who are mean and harsh. So don't be mean and harsh with me, and it'll be all nice. Um, I'm also at uh, Mark Ross Pelly, M A R K R O S S P E L L E on Instagram. I don't do any political stuff on there, so if you don't mind pictures of dogs and and stuff like that, then that's there. I also have a, a YouTube channel um, which I'm starting. Uh, I've, I've got three programs up there now called Reality Check. I'm about to put another one out. Um, pretty soon. Um, I hope you guys can like that. And I'm, and I'm doing something for Showtime now called American Rust. I think it's a great show. Jeff Daniels and Moira Tyranny. I think it's going to be a really good, uh, really good show. So, so stay tuned on Showtime. It should be coming out, I think in September, October. You're working with Jeff Daniels, huh? Legend. I am legend. I love it. That's great. He's great. Yeah, He's great. absolutely. Well, Hey man, I appreciate you. If you could just stick around for like two minutes while I close out this stream, we'll start the, the, uh, the private stream. Right on. Hey, thanks again, man. All right, guys. Another awesome episode of Break Cycle. Mark is awesome. Super based. I love it. Uh, you know, what can you say about the guy? Go follow him. Check him out. Go watch his stuff. He's got, I mean, he's been in so many great things. How could you not? The guy was in the Big Lebowski, for crying out loud. Go watch his stuff. Uh, once again, please, become a channel member on YouTube. Uh, we got about 40 channel members now, 70 people in the Patreon. The patron. All you guys get uh, great after after hours content after every show uh between 10 to 30 minutes uh with every guest uh if you join the patreon or the subscribe star you guys get some cool swag shirts all that stuff uh by the way lucky charms thank you for another hundred dollar super chat that's three hundred dollars that's a lot of money uh please get a hold of me on twitter or something i'd like to send you some shirts or a coffee mug or i don't know i'll come find you and give you a hug i really appreciate it uh guys check out our sponsors at lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door bring the taste of italy home use btc at checkout for a 10 percent discount and of course toplobster.com my friend my partner the man the myth the legend uh go check him out for all your wonderful graphic design needs the man hand draws everything all of our thumbnails for the show, the entire aesthetic, everything is him, including this great Epstein didn't kill himself hoodie that I'm wearing tonight. And of course, executive producers, anthemplanning.com for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Uh, check them out today. See what they can do for your home, business, or personal life. They're doing a wonderful job that the government has historically sucked at. Uh, guys, I will see you tomorrow. Uh, I We have a great week lined up for you. I unfortunately have not load, loaded the Trapper Keeper uh, with all the great um, uh, thumbnails yet, so we will talk more tomorrow. I will see you for the Wednesday show, but until then, don't forget to break the cycle. to explain the lyrics of my last song they seem to contain a violent call to action in the verse of the frame but i just landed in minecraft the helicopter part was in reference to gta 5 and
the things you do So when he finds you commit, I am not an excuse Because I just magged it in Minecraft But Chipper is my friend and he's constantly cold Accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just magged it in Minecraft Obviously, I would never advocate force Unless it's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft You're nothing I mean, you know it Your product is just a close to COVID 